Welcome back to the Stronger by Science Fireside Chat series. I am your host, Greg Knuckles, joined today uh, with a very special temporary guest host, Eric Trexler. Eric, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for inviting me, and everyone who has been spamming Greg's inboxes, begging him to bring me back, thank you for your hard work. Please continue to do so in the weeks to come. Don't do that. All right, so let's uh, let's dive right into it. During the first Fireside Chat, uh, we talked about movies and TV shows we're into. I mentioned that I was watching Devs, and you were about to start. As I understand it, you, ha- you have now dove into the devs cinematic universe uh what have you thought so far yeah so um in a moment of just absolutely absurd hypocrisy in the first fireside chat i talked about how films are way too long of a commitment for me two hours to me is completely off the table uh, which is why i watch more television than, than movies and i just was a total hypocrite and binge watched the hell out of devs Uh, so i am fully caught up in only like a day or two of watching, uh, which is just so embarrassing and shameful, but it is really good. Um, this is like right in my wheelhouse. I love it so far. Um, but I am falling into my old trap, which is, I think I really love the characters that you're not supposed to love. Like, uh, we talked about in Westworld, how, uh, I just love the character of William, like old William. And, uh, in this one, I, I can tell that I'm again, rooting for all of the worst people. Um, oh, but, yeah. But I, I've grown to accept that about myself. But we're, we're we're both big time Team Kenton, right? Oh, big time Team Kenton for sure. And, and Nick Offerman, his character is fantastic, complicated, complex. Um, you don't. It, it's hard to categorize him as a good guy or a bad guy. I think maybe, or or maybe I'm a sociopath. Is is <laughs> is that fair to say? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a good or bad guy. Like he's, okay. He's someone who's driven to do extreme things by intense emotional trauma. Like that, that makes for an interesting character who th- their motives, if even if not like, f- even if I'm not fully able to empathize with them, I think I can at least understand them. Yeah. And one of the things I love about the show, of course, uh, the plot is exciting and, and interesting, and there's a lot of depth to it, but. The character development is fantastic, and sometimes the characters do make surprising decisions, but when they do, it's on character. So it has to be surprising and yet explainable based on the character's makeup. And and I love when that is part of a show. It's the reason why I completely turned on Game of Thrones and was absolutely disgusted by the final season. I thought the last season of Game of Thrones was awful, uh, and I know you agree with me on that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forgive what what they did to Jamie Lannister because he he had such an interesting arc of character development and redemption and then just completely throws it all away while breaking Brienne of Tarth's heart Mm. which one I don't know that I can forgive Jamie for that two I definitely can't forgive the showrunners for making him do that yeah the writing it was just like you know what we're out of time let's just cut some corners which was so disappointing um, but yeah, so Devs is absolutely awesome. I'm really stoked about it. And now I'm, because I irresponsibly got fully caught up, now I have to wait for the next episode to come out, which is horrific. Have you started on season three of Ozark yet? No, I haven't. All right. So it uh, it just came back yesterday. Dude, so season three is off to a good start so far. We've watched the first two episodes. Um, 
And again, we're not trying to spoil anything, but I, I do just want to say, okay, so we were talking about how our favorite characters and stuff are often people who you're maybe not supposed to to root for. Right. Who's your favorite character in Ozark? Oh, man. Um, I, I like the main, Jason Bateman's character. I, I like his character. That makes sense. You guys are, are pretty similar. <laughs> Not because we launder money. I mean, if you got, if you got sucked into the criminal world, <laughs> I could see you being a money launderer. Like that, that seems like it would fit your personality. Fair enough. My favorite hands down is Ruth Langmore. Okay. She is, uh, she's quite possibly my favorite television character, just period. Like, really? Dude. Cause like, she just doesn't give a fuck. Um, and I, I appreciate that. You'll, you'll see. So second episode of season three, uh, she does something which again is, is very on character. Um, which is just, just chef's kiss. Like it's. Yeah. I I saw someone on Facebook say something about Ruth doing something surprising and I immediately scrolled away from it because I didn't want any, any spoilers. Yeah. She's, she's great. Awesome. Now, so we wanted to touch base about that from last episode. Another thing was we both kind of mentioned that we are a bit curmudgeonly and uh, someone followed up and said, in what way, you know, what are the things that really bring out your inner curmudgeon and really grind your gears? So um, what, what, what are yours? So there are a few things I'm, <laughs> I'm not really that curmudgeonly. I don't think um, I tell people I am, but I don't, I don't know, dude. Like I'm, I'm generally a, a pretty easygoing guy. Um, I do think I'm finally starting to get to the age that I look at what like teenagers are doing these days. And I'm like, yep, just don't understand youth culture anymore. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that's not necessarily curmudgeonly. Like I, I think that if you fully understand youth culture by the time you're closing in on 30, Either you work with kids in some capacity and are like forced to understand youth culture to some degree, um, or you're just like trying to hold on to your your adolescence a little bit too long. So I, I guess I'm kind of curmudgeonly in that regard. Um, but things that do legitimately grind my gears and get under my skin is like one, and I've I've done this to myself. Um, but one of the things that irks me a lot is when people are just lazy in general and especially lazy about acquiring information. So if you've read content on Stronger by Science, you know that we we tend to opt for longer form stuff. And I try to not waste words. Like if, if there's something that I can say in 3,000 words, I'm not just going to make something 5,000 words for the fun of it. Because that, you know, that's more time spent typing. Um, and we also do have generally like a, a summary of what an article is about at the beginning and end of the article. And so when we publish something and I, I like it gets shared on Reddit and there's like a dozen people saying, this is long. Can you give me a TLDR? It's just like, no, like one, we've already kind of given a TLDR at the beginning and end of the article. And then two, like if I could make it substantially shorter, I would have. So like either just read it or don't acquire the information. Like don't don't force me to summarize this again. Um I, I get kind of curmudgeonly about that. Another thing that I get pretty curmudgeonly about 
is having to explain things multiple times when I know I did a pretty good job explaining things the first time around. So one thing I know about myself is that I'm not always the clearest communicator. Um, and so like, if someone asks me to explain something and I'm like midway through explaining it, I know when I'm doing a piss poor job of it. And so like, in a situation like that, when it doesn't, when it doesn't sink in the first time, you know, I'm not going to get upset with people. Like I know I fucked up, but if I do a good job explaining something and someone asks me to explain it again, that's fine. If they ask me to explain it a third time, I think I'm pretty good in not letting them see how angry I am. But like at that point, <laughs> just a switch flips and I'm very angry. Um, and then the last thing that I'm pretty curmudgeonly about is, uh, is social media. So this is the thing that I'm, that I'm the biggest boomer about by far. Um, I like Facebook and I don't like any other social media platforms. So with Twitter, like, dude, the character limits, like people talk about how toxic Twitter is. It's just like, well, the character limit used to be 140 characters. Now it's 280, but you still can't express that much nuance and have that good of a conversation with that few characters. Like it's a platform that really lends itself to like one-liners and like one-liners dunking on people. It's not a great platform for nuanced conversation. So like as someone who tends to write long form content, the, the Twitter is so far outside my wheelhouse. I just can't, I just can't understand the platform. And, and like, if I had a dollar for every time I saw someone say like, I'm going to hop on Twitter to say this, this is tweet one out of 19. And you're yeah. like, dude, just do it anywhere else. Clearly yeah, yeah. this is not made for Twitter. Correct. You know? Uh, and then with Instagram, like I'm coming around on the platform slowly, but surely um, sharing more stuff to Instagram, using Instagram stories to share like food content. But I really, really don't like Instagram for, for like fitness or business reasons, mostly because like a lot of times I'm talking about science and you can't share fucking links on Instagram. Like my enjoyment of the platform would increase tenfold if you could put clickable links in descriptions of posts or in comments because then you know there's not character well there is a character limit but it's pretty long um you know you could you could share stuff you could post links if you're trying to have a discussion about something scientific you could send people links to papers um and like that would all be fine but the lack of that functionality on instagram completely ruins the platform for a whole lot of applications for me um so like yeah I still like Facebook. It's like it's like me and people who are forty five plus. Yeah. Like we're we're the last Facebook holdouts. Um, and at least until Instagram gets gets links, uh, I think that's going to continue to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you make fair points. That's for sure. Um, now, I I don't really see you as a curmudgeon, like you said. I think you're too you're too laid back and generally jolly to be a, a true curmudgeon. <laughs> um. I am definitely a curmudgeon, uh, that's for sure. Um, but I think a lot of people, <laughs> based on my uh, general curmudgeonly outward appearance, they think like, wow, that guy's dead inside. It's just minor grumpiness. It's not like the deep, deep, like absolute despair like that would appear on my face. So if you're worried about me, don't worry. It's cool. 
But there are, uh, I, I'm definitely generally grumpier and more curmudgeonly than you are. Uh, for okay, sure. so can I cut in real quick? Sure. I don't actually think you're that curmudgeonly. Oh, so, then, then so, I'm hiding it well. So I think you, so I very much agree. Like you're, you have described yourself as having resting crisis face, which, <laughs> yeah. which is a, a very, very apt description. Like you, you either look like everything or like everything within you emotionally is crumbling or that you're very, very concerned about something. Those yeah. are your two resting facial expressions. So I think you appear very curmudgeonly, but like you're not curmudgeonly to interact with. Yeah, I, I am wondering if, if my my self-perception of me being a curmudgeon is based on people reacting to my outward appearance and mm -hmm. me just accepting like oh I, I guess this is i guess this is me now well I, one of the things we bonded about in the apl way back in the day was uh like i have a very dark sarcastic sense of humor and when i enter a new environment i i'll start like feeling people out i'm like who can i really be myself around that you know i can make a dark joke and they'll find it funny and also not think that I'm a terrible person for making this joke. Um, and like you and Mike were, were the two people um, in that environment who, who I identified very quickly that like, okay, like they get it. Um, so, I mean, like it, it could just be that our personalities mesh well. Yeah. But I feel like we have similar senses of humor and that at least around me you're not super curmudgeonly and before i was i was a little bit concerned because like you were an employee and i was like is he doing this out of obligation but like now you're a partner in the business so like if you're faking it at this point you're wasting your time <laughs> yeah no okay yeah you, you you raise good points there but uh the, the things that get under my skin that really grind my gears Number one is inefficiency of any kind. And you've probably picked up on this. Whenever we talk about something within the business, there it can never be like a one-off fix. I'm always like, no, we have to have a repeatable process in place for mm -hmm. everything. Like you've probably picked up on that. Mm -hmm. um, inefficiency of any kind drives me nuts. Uh, I was like that as a researcher. I'm still like it today. I'm going to die like that. Uh, loud stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how are we friends? Dude, so I, I grew up in a, in a household mm -hmm. that was very loving. It was, it was an awesome upbringing, but it, I grew up in a quiet house. If anything loud was happening, there was a problem. Interesting. And I, I think that really carried over into my adulthood where like, even in like circumstances where things are fine, if things are too loud, I'm like, hey, everybody needs to take it down several notches. It like makes me viscerally angry when things are very loud. How do we get along? Because, like, my normal speaking volume is a low yell. I've adapted to it. Fair enough. I've adapted to it. Um, <laughs> number three, people who are very confident about what they're saying for no reason. <laughs> like, that... I am so careful about what I say. And so, I there's nothing that drives me crazier than someone who's just absurdly confident about their hot take. And I'm like... Why did you even believe that you should be confident about your take on this? That drives me nuts. Um, no, the, I, I feel that one viscerally. Yeah, because, man, we're way too careful about the way we speak. And then you just go on social media and you're like, dude, wh where are you getting this take from? Where is this confidence coming from? I, so I don't mind hot takes at all. But I, I feel like 
Yeah, I, I feel like the confidence with which those takes come out very strongly dictate how I react to them. Definitely. Um, you know, if someone's just like, you know, I don't know shit about this topic, but here's how it seems to me. Like, I'll I, take that. Yeah, like, I don't care if you if you throw out something that you admit is a hot take and you're very wrong about it. But yeah, people who clearly don't know shit about something who are incredibly confident about it, yeah, that's... That's that's not good. It's crazy. And now my, my final one, uh, too much socializing. I have, <laughs> I have a, everyone has their own like number, right? The amount of social interaction they can have in a given time frame and still feel good, not feel fatigued by it. Mm-hmm. My number is way lower than everyone else's. Like <laughs> it's something that I picked up from my father. He and I have talked about it, but like, he and I both thrive in silence and solitude. So like the baseline amount of social interaction that most people need just to get by is like about my limit. And if I go be like, if I do two social things in the same week, I'm exhausted. Like I, I got to like take a day off or something. So for whatever reason, if I don't have my time where it's just me alone in silence, I go crazy. So th- th- those are my only lists there. So this is wonder. Th- this is making me like introspect and wonder if, at my core, I'm just a deeply sadistic person, <laughs> because Lindsay's that way too. Uh, she's also. I don't think she's as introverted as you, but she's she's quite introverted. Um, and so here here is a hot take I'm going to throw out there. The Myers-Briggs personality test, which a lot of people base their entire personhood on, um, it's it's basically astrology for middle management. Um, <laughs> it's completely worthless, in my humble opinion. Now, I've talked to people in the psych field who are like, dude, I can't believe people still use it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, with that caveat out of the way, when I have taken the Myers-Briggs I am the most extreme extrovert possible. <laughs> and I guess that is one that's actually more validated because, like, that's in Big Five as well. Yeah. Um, I am an extreme extrovert. And uh, the two people who I spend the most time around are, like, I, I think Lindsay is not as extreme as an as an introvert can be, but she's she's very introverted. Yeah. Uh, and you are as well. So I... I wonder if uh, if I'm a terrible person and I just derive joy from forcing socializing onto you guys. I th- I don't know. Maybe that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I I do want to keep things moving here. Um, now later we are going to talk about dating and relationship advice. So I I want to tease that segment because I know that's why everybody's here. That's that's the most requested topic for us to talk about. Before we get to that, somebody asked us to uh, reflect on some games that we like, things like video games, board games, stuff like that. Uh, so, Greg, wh- wh- what kind of games are you into these days? Not a ton. So, when I was growing up, I used to be pretty into video games. Um, one of the things I still hold against my parents, actually, is most of my friends had Nintendo systems. So, when I was young, Nintendo or like the old NES and the Super Nintendo and then most of them got N64s and then GameCubes and I very much enjoyed playing Nintendo games. My parents got together with like my friend's parents and they were like 
our kids should have a diversity of video games to play when they go over to each other's houses. So my parents only got me Sega systems, which like, you know, very much first world problems. But, uh, so like I enjoyed the Sonic games, but like, and I really enjoyed Streets of Rage growing up for, for the Sega Genesis. Uh, there were a few Dreamcast titles I enjoyed, but like, dude, if you compare the game library on the Dreamcast to the N64, like, it's it's not even close. Um, but then I got a PS2 in high school, um, and I, I played a lot of Madden and uh, some some Time Splitters 2. That was first person shooter game. Really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I I stopped playing video games for for years when I went to college. Um, I wanted to be able to focus on my studies and take all of that seriously. So I didn't bring a TV, didn't bring any game consoles, and didn't play video games from the time I went to college until I'd been out for probably three years, give or take. Um, and at that point, you know, I'm buying my own video game system. So I got a Wii U. I was apparently the only person in the world who bought a Wii U. Such a terrible marketing <laughs> campaign. Um, but I got it just to play Mario Kart and Smash. Uh, and since then, I've gotten a Switch. And so we'll, we'll occasionally play some Mario Kart if people are over and want to play. Like that's a very, you know, that's a, that's a game that's friendly to people of, of all skill levels. Um, when I'm just playing by myself, which I don't play a ton of video games still, um, but when I do just like kick back and play something, it's often Mario Maker these days. So it's like, it is a Mario game where Nintendo made some levels, but it's mostly user-made content. And so um, if you're if you're into 2D platforming, like there's a ton of utterly dog shit Mario Maker levels, but then there are a lot that are really, really good and high quality. Um, and it's, so there are some levels that are super, super hard. And I really enjoy playing those because I get a, a great sense of satisfaction when I get past an obstacle that kills me like 30 times beforehand. Um, so I, I play a, a reasonable amount of Mario Maker. I don't play a ton of Smash anymore because none of my friends play Smash. Like, if there were people who lived near me who I was buddies with that were also into Smash, I would play a ton of Smash Ultimate. Um, but I don't play enough to to make online fun. Because, <laughs> um, like, online Smash, it seems like there's two tiers of people. There's, like, complete scrubs who I just utterly destroy to the point that it's not fun. And then there are people who, like, as soon as you, you tick over into Elite Smash Online, then there's a bunch of people who, you know, you can tell put 30 times more hours into the game than you do. And they beat me so badly, it's not fun. Um, so I'm, I'm at this, like, weird skill level in Smash that I just can't get too much enjoyment from playing it online. Um, but I, I do enjoy Smash games in general. And then... In terms of non-video game related things, I love playing trivia. So um, generally when I'm leaving the house on a regular basis, I'll play pub trivia every week. Um, and in terms of board games, I'm not a big board game guy, but there is one that I like and everyone around me hates called Tribond, um, which is essentially like, it's kind of trivia-ish. So you roll a dice, um, and like one of the dice or one of the dies 
gives you a category and the other one is how many spaces you get to move if you get the question correct and all of the questions are uh, what do these three things have in common and so there's some degree of trivia knowledge that you need so you know if it's like obscure authors and it's like oh they're all authors from this particular time period or whatever um, and then there's so my, my favorite category in tribond is riddles and wordplay because it's like you know purely trying to find like creative associations between three things that don't seem like they would be related so i really like tribond uh pretty much everyone else i know just despises it but i think it's fun how about you yeah so i didn't even think of trivia as being a game for some reason i don't know why but i do enjoy when we play trivia you know we go out to the bar we reliably get third or fifth place one of the two. I don't think we've ever gotten fourth, <laughs> but it's always <laughs> third or fifth. Um, but that's fun. But honestly, I, generally speaking, I have a visceral hatred for games. Um, they, they drive me crazy. Like I need to either be 100% into something or not at all. And I don't mean like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty competitive. Once we get rolling, I'm going to be really absorbed by the game. I mean, like for six months, it has to be a large focal point in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I can't just passively be like, oh yeah, let's dive into this game and have fun with it. I have to be very, very serious about it. I have a very addictive personality. So I would be like, you mentioned those two tiers of the games. If I got on into it, I would have to be at the top tier. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a huge portion of my life at that point. So I think it's best for me to just abstain from games as a general concept And like, honestly, you know, like one of the things I love doing, uh, you know, every year I try to make time for a ski trip and I like to go up to West Virginia and go skiing. And I always think in the back of my head, oh, I'm going to be up in the mountains in a cabin. I should bring like a board game or a deck of cards or something. Mm -hmm. I have before never even thought about touching them. I'll just sit in a chair and stare at the mountains in complete silence for an hour before I would even dream of playing a game. So it just doesn't really fit my personality type, unfortunately. No, I mean, that's fair. That's that's kind of how I am with board and card games for the most part. Um, I find Tribond engrossing for reasons I can't fully describe. But uh, m- my family growing up really liked board games, really liked card games. Um, so, so my parents were both really into a card game, which I have found out now that I've gotten older most people have never heard of but it's called rook uh and they just loved it and so i i would like begrudgingly play it with them but i i was by far the person getting the least enjoyment out of that um and then my so one of my grandmothers plays oh what's it called oh dang it what what is the name of that game your grandmother plays it spades maybe is that a game I don't know. Bridge? That's a thing. Might be bridge. I think it's bridge. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so sh- she plays like ranked competitive bridge. Yeah. And so uh, w- when we hang out with them, we play a lot of bridge. And I actually find that really fun because, you know, that's like a large part of her life. And so when we fuck up, sh- which happens virtually every hand, um she'll explain like why she did what she did and what we should have done that would have been the better play and so i i think i find the learning experience a lot more fun than the actual playing of the game um but yeah in general i'm i'm not really big into border card games yeah 
All right. So moving on, we're going to get to the topic everyone came here for dating and relationship advice. And fun fact, when we started the podcast, we made it about, you know, lifting and science and stuff. We actually considered just making a love focused podcast. So it's nice for, <laughs> for us to be right in our sweet spot where we can really get into these topics. Um, yeah, I don't know why anyone would ask us for dating or relationship advice. It was the most asked off-topic thing to talk about I, I by think, far. I think they just want to listen to us squirm and, and try to pretend that we have anything useful to give. But in any case, we're going to talk about dating first, and then we're going to talk about relationship advice. Now, Greg, your approach to dating, I think it's fair to say, is a bit old school. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so here you know i'm not necessarily making a recommendation here i'll just tell you what worked for me so um and one one thing i'll say before we get going um this is all going to be advice from an exclusively male perspective but it's not because we don't care about female perspectives uh when a lot of dating and relationship questions came in i have been imploring my wife to, to hop on these fireside chats <laughs> or at least the ones related to dating and relationships J just you know one so there would be a perspective for the ladies and two so it wouldn't just be like you know two dudes just probably giving shit advice but anyway she she has said no dozens of times so that's where we're at and if you're upset about how this segment goes blame Lindsay. Yeah. Also, my girlfriend was even more adamant about not being on it than Lindsay. Um, she pretended to not be totally averse to it when you asked her, but yeah, she was very averse to it. it. It's it's not a competition, Eric. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So okay, give us give us your your advice. Yeah, yeah. So this isn't necessarily advice, but like I said, this is what worked for me. So uh, find a nice young woman, ideally around sixteen years old. Um, and if possible, um, you know, just just stick just stick with them, uh, marry them, and live happily ever after. That's uh, that's what I did, and it's been good. Now you said sixteen years old. It, it's probably important to mention your age at the time. Yeah, so uh, that's an important detail. I was seventeen, um, so my wife was my high school sweetheart. Um, you know, if if you're listening to this and you're somewhere somewhere in your 20s and 30s, um, do not use this plan. E either don't use it, or you know, check check local laws. Do and, not use this plan. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that. Uh, so anyway, all of that is to say, if you're listening to this and you're you know somewhere out of high school uh, or really in high school, I don't think it's a good idea to marry your high school sweetheart. Like I, I think the data on that. <laughs> suggests that that typically goes poorly um so we we've gotten lucky there uh and th that wasn't like a jab or anything it's it's gone very well for me but don't don't assume that you two will beat the odds um <laughs> so so yeah uh if you're if you're out of high school or in high school don't probably don't do what i did um i just wanted to let you know that at least as far as dating advice goes, um, at least in terms of like how to go about getting a girlfriend, anything that I would say is at least like 12 years chronologically out of date 
and also like multiple years in terms of like social relationships out of date uh so you're gonna have to carry the load here Trex. yeah so my approach was very different i know when, when you courted Lindsay, you, you had to call her landline at home and oh yeah so that that, that is important information um <laughs> so here's how long ago it was uh cell phones existed but the iphone one hadn't launched yet like smartphones weren't a thing and unlimited texting wasn't already completely ubiquitous so i think Lindsay had an unlimited texting plan i did not um and i also had very very limited calling minutes on my phone and so uh for probably the first year of our relationship most of the way we would stay in touch would be i would ask my parents like hey do you need our landline phone for the next hour or so uh, and if they said no then i would shoot Lindsay a text and say hey i'm about to call try to be the one that picks up um because you know that that was only one text and that was fine and then i'd call and invariably it would be her father who picked up uh he was I, I swear during those days, he was just like pacing around the house with like uh, with a phone in his hand, just just waiting for me to call. Um, so Rick would answer and I'd say, hello, Mr. Ruble, may I speak to your daughter? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, th that that kind of dates my dating experience. I feel like I would have a lot more to talk about with someone who's approximately 60 years old when it comes to dating and courtship than someone who's three years younger than me. <laughs> I think so, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you take it away from here. Yeah, so I have a much more modern uh, approach to dating. Um, big caveat here, like I said earlier, I am not the person to ask about dating advice whatsoever. Um, I'm fortunate to be in a very uh, healthy and happy relationship at the moment. So that's not a reflection on my current relationship, but I certainly don't uh, see myself as someone to be giving unsolicited dating advice uh, by any means. But, but it was solicited. It was solicited. That's true. It was very strongly solicited. And that's your guys' fault. Yes. And so I'm also going to share, like Greg said, just my experiences, no judgment, date whoever you want to date everyone be safe and, and happy and do do your thing but this is from my perspective uh, you know in my experience dating so i use the apps you got the tinder and the bumble and whatever else is out there i don't i don't really know there, there's a bunch of other ones but i don't know all of them but th those are the two that i have used in the past and that seems to be what the kids are up to these days is is using the young folks i should say is using the apps and i mean it seems like everybody's using them honestly and I don't know, it's an efficient way to kind of, you know, meet some people and, and see if you have any kind of shared interest and connection. But one of the key things there is making the profile. You basically, with these apps, you get to try to decide what people see of you. It's not like when you're out at a bar and someone sees you just objectively for what you look like that day. You are basically cultivating this profile image. And one of the big tips there is do not pretend to be way cooler and way more interesting than you really are. That's a really bad plan. So like if all of your pictures and your description are like you being the coolest person in the world doing all these interesting things, but that's not really you, uh, it's probably not going to end well. You're probably going to be very underwhelming if you actually are fortunate enough to go on some dates with somebody and then they find out, oh, you're way less cool than I thought. So when it comes to your profile, 
I think you save yourself a lot of trouble by just trying to make it reflect as close as possible who you actually are. Now, you made a perfect profile. People love it. You start messaging some people. Uh, a few points on the messaging aspect of this stuff. First of all, be original. So if you're making the first move, you know, uh, making the first comment there, comment about their interests. Hopefully they have a profile with some interesting information or maybe one of their pictures, they're doing something that's identifiably interesting. Make a comment about that. Don't be cliche. Don't use one of the copy paste like, hey, here's a clever generic opening line. Be original and, and make it about them. Not some, you know, cliche, copy-paste kind of thing. Another thing, and this is really important, Greg, don't be a revolting human being. You're a person who's talking to another human being that is a person. So <laughs> try to keep that in mind. Um, you know, just from, like, my friends and from, like, you know, viral posts that, that get screenshotted and stuff, people behave very strangely on some of these apps, Greg. Um yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen them on, you know, people share it all over, the, like, social media. So if if anyone out there is listening and they're like, uh, I don't know, can it really be that bad? Um, a Twitter account worth potentially checking out? Uh, and, and so, you know, these are submitted and curated interactions. So they are probably the worst of the worst. So just keep that in mind. Um but just, just to see how low the bottom of the barrel is, there's a Twitter account called She Rates Dogs um, that is, it's managed by a young woman where other young women typically uh, submit like screenshots from messaging apps or dating apps uh, and she shares the worst ones. And like, oh buddy, like it's, it, there's some bad shit out there. Yes, there, there definitely is. What, why is it called She Rates Dogs? So, okay. There's another popular Twitter account called We Raid Dogs. Yeah. Which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it's, you know, you submit a picture of a dog and they, they rate the dog. And all of the dogs get very high ratings because all dogs are fantastic. Correct. Um, so it's just kind of a play on that. But, like, it's... It's, um, I guess this is kind of a dated expression at this point, but like what people would say back in like the eighties or nineties or probably 1940s, like, ah, oh, men are dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back, it's, back when you were dating. Yeah, sure. So it's, <laughs> so it's, it's a play on that. Okay. That makes sense. Also so, follow we rate dogs. That is, that is a very good vibes Twitter account that everyone should be following. That, that sounds like some really good advice there. So anyway, just be be respectful when you're messaging people. Remember that you're talking to a human being. Like, come on, behave yourself out there. Okay, now, a couple things to look out for on dating apps. And some of these, I'm not even going to tell the story. <laughs> I'm just going to give the, the, the takeaway point, okay? What to look out for on these dating apps? There are going to be a lot of people on these things who broke up with someone about four days ago. That seems to be a thing a lot of people do is like they just got out of a big relationship. It was messy and they're like, I'm going to get back out there. So if you're like looking for someone to really strike a strong relation, like a long-term relationship with, that's something to be kind of keep an eye out for is like someone who broke up with a serious, you know, partner like three days ago. They're probably not ready for that. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, Watch out for people who are more married than they seem to be. <laughs> um, and a, a good... 
a good litmus test if, if you're wondering am i too married to present myself as single could you get married today if you were to go to the courthouse and they would say sorry you can't get married because you're already married you're probably too married to say that you're not married I th that's the litmus test i use and by the way if you're in an open marriage not judging whatsoever but you know but yeah Presenting yourself as, as being totally single when you're very much married, that's not a good move. The full story behind that piece of advice is way better than the reader or than our listeners could ever conceive of. But I, I assume that's where you're leaving it. <laughs> that's going to be where I leave it. Yeah, Th that's probably for the best. That's probably for the best. Another thing. Um, let's say you're going on a date with someone. You don't know them very well. Okay. If you're going uh, to pull a firearm out of your bag, <laughs> <laughs> you should probably give someone a heads up. Um, and just to be very clear about that story. Eric was held at gunpoint. <laughs> I wasn't held at gunpoint, nor did I get a gun pulled on me. Um, but basically the story was someone I did not know very well. I was like, I'll walk you, walk you to your car. It's dark out. You know, it's kind of a long walk dangerous walking alone at night, that kind of thing. And uh, man, before I could even, <laughs> before I knew what happened, there's a gun out of a bag and I'm like, whoa, what's happening here? So, uh, but you know, I have no issues with guns whatsoever. I'm all for people, you know, feeling safe and protecting themselves. But man, if you're going to bring a gun into someone's home and, and, you know, pull it out of a bag, you should probably, I think it'd be polite to give them a heads up. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, I, I don't. That know, seems like etiquette. I don't know that it's legally required, but it's uh, it's polite. Yeah. Now, if you're pulling it on them, then presumably they might deserve it. So then you don't necessarily have to announce it. But I was just being a gentleman, saying, "Hey, I'll walk you back to your car," and they're like, "Yeah, believe me, I'll be fine." And all of a sudden, there's a gun out. I'm like, "Whoa, what's happening here?" But yeah, so keep keep an eye out for those key things when you're on the apps, and you should be in good shape. I, I've met plenty of really fantastic people on the apps including my current girlfriend. Like I said, it's a very healthy, very happy relationship. There are wonderful people out there, but those are some of the key things to keep an eye out for. What, what is uh, what is the scene like? I mean, th this is something that has no relevance to my life anymore. So like, I don't know like what percentage of relationships start on apps versus, you know, in real life or, uh, or other means. Do you do you know that right off the top of your head? Because because it feels like every single friend that I have is currently on dating apps, and everyone who's currently dating met the person they're dating through a dating app. Like is is that almost like a monopoly on the dating market these days, or do you, do you know? You know, I don't know any numbers, but I will say my subjective experience has been that most of my friends that are single are on one or more apps. Some are more more active than others. Some people just kind of curiously swipe and never really intend to like meet somebody on them. But they do seem to be uh, remarkably common. And honestly, I think they're fantastic for a couple reasons, being serious here. Uh, like I said, very efficient, uh, where you can really just kind of survey, like, okay, who's out there? Um, so that that's good for people that are really busy. Um, and, and, you know, I have been busy my whole life because I couldn't survive if I wasn't. I'd go crazy. But so if you're busy or if you just want to be efficient with your time, it's good for that. Another thing that's good about it, honestly, is that um, I don't like 
approaching someone and expressing interest like unsolicited, you know, like going up and making that first move in public. Sometimes I feel rude, like even if I'm being very polite and respectful, I'm like, well, if this person doesn't want me to approach them, then I feel I feel like I'm kind of bothering them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. But but I so <laughs> with the apps, clearly everyone is opting in. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I know I'm not saying there's anything wrong with approaching someone respectfully, expressing interest, and then saying, "Oh, cool, no problem." But I'm, I'm you can tell I'm assuming I got turned down 100 <laughs> percent in that scenario. But like, I just don't like. Uh, it, it's nice knowing that if I'm going to express interest, the person on the other end of that has already opted in to being in that dating mm-hmm. universe. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, should we move on to the actual relationship advice? Uh, sure. So you scored a date, and now what, Greg? Okay, so I I actually do have things to say about this because um, I have been in a re- I have been in a relationship more recently than 2008, which was the last time I was in the dating market. Um, so the first thing I'm going to lead with, which is I feel like something that everyone's parents have told them, and just like. It's almost cliched at this point, but proper communication is key. Um, And the proper amount of communication is generally an enormous amount of communication. Um, The the better you understand just the other person, like who they are and what makes them tick, uh, what's going on in their lives, what they like and don't like, how they feel about certain things, um, the better things are probably going to go. So... Uh, communication is key and, uh, you know, both quantity and quality matter a lot. Um, next thing is some degree of that communication will probably be fighting or arguing. And I am naturally a pretty argumentative person. And I, I think that it's, I think that it's important, especially for men uh, and, and I'm not trying to stereotype too much here, but I feel like for for myself and like just a lot of men generally, it's easy to forget in an argument about whether you're just about the fact that like the other person's feelings are on the line in the argument and it's not just purely an argument about factual information. Um, and so like, well, I did read on the internet that facts don't actually care about your feelings. Is that true? That is true, but maybe you should care about other people's feelings. Ah, good point. Just as an important caveat. Correct. Um, And and so, you know, you're not necessarily going into an argument to try to win the argument. Uh, And and if you go into an argument with the intent to always win the argument, you can very much win a Pyrrhic victory. Like, you win the battle, but lose the war. Like, you win the argument, but then... They're super pissed at you. And so you don't feel good about winning the argument. You know what I mean? Like you, you lost more than you gained. Yeah. Um, so always keep the other person's feelings in mind. And also like if things do start getting argumentative and heated, just like try to take a breath and think one, what, what is the likelihood that I'm wrong here? Or just like, am I factually wrong? And to what degree am I wrong? And then two, probably more importantly, like how much does it matter? Um, So, you know, like if if you're, 
if you're totally in the right, but like feelings are running high, uh, and, and, and like all of the factual information of the case is on your side, but ultimately it doesn't matter who actually wins or loses the argument, sometimes just fold, you know, like, like ultimately if you're in a committed relationship with someone and you care about them, um, both of you coming out of that fight slash argument with with generally good vibes and good feelings about the other person matters way more than who actually wins and loses the argument. Um, so just just keep that in mind. Um, next thing I'll say, and, and I guess this applies to both being in a relationship with someone and probably just dating in general, is um, take time to at least kind of understand and be somewhat conversant in whatever your partner is interested in. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily need to apply to everything. Um, but, you know, so for example, if you're dating a lovely young woman and she's super into like Real Housewives or something like that, and all of her female friends are really into Real Housewives and she has those people to talk about that show with, and she's not trying to talk about Real Housewives with you all the time, you probably don't really need to know about Real Housewives. Um, but you probably should need to know about, you know, what's going on with her job and, like, who her co-workers are. Um, so, like, when she comes home from work and wants to talk about work stuff and interpersonal relationships at the office, you understand that stuff well enough that, one, you can you, you can listen and get what she's saying, and two, that, like, you can ask questions that show that you understand what's going on. Um, and so, you know, it's not just like work and interpersonal stuff, but if there's something that you can tell that the person you're in a relationship with cares about and is passionate about, and they at least semi-frequently try to bring it up in conversation with you, if you don't know shit about it, take time to learn something about it. Um, you know, that one will help with communication. That gives you something else you can talk about. And two, it just shows that you care about them enough to put forth the effort to, to care on some level about the same stuff they care about. Um, another piece of advice I would give, and, and this also does apply to both being in a relationship and probably dating as well, is like people like to talk about themselves. Um, that's, that's most people's favorite topic of conversation. Because, uh, you know... There are some people who are completely selfless, but most individuals out there in the world are fairly self-interested. Um, you know, that applies to me, that probably applies to you, dear listener, and that probably applies to 90% of the people you know. So an important skill, both in relationships and just for maintaining friendships and making new friends, is try to develop the skill of like, helping people talk about themselves without it feeling like you're interviewing them. Um, so if you just go into a conversation with a list of questions like, I'm going to ask them where they're from. I'm going to ask them what they do. And you just kind of like jump from one, one subject to the next and you're just asking them a question cold. Then that can come across as creepy. Like, why is this person trying to glean so much information about me? Um, but, you know, if you can get them talking and you get good at just asking innocuous follow-up questions to allow them to keep talking about themselves, that's that's a good tip just to get most people to like you in general. Um, and that's, is, that's smart. Yeah, it's, it's a good tip for relationships. 
And you don't have to be a fucking sociopath about it. Like, this would be a good skill a good skill to master for sociopaths, which I think it comes naturally to them. But, like, if you care about people uh, and you want to make friends, like, you, you can do this in a way that, like, theoretically, if you care about developing a friendship with someone, these questions you're asking, you do actually care about the answer to them. Right. Yeah. You're not purely doing it just to get someone to like you. Right. But it will generally help people like you. Um, another piece of advice I would give, and again, like, so here, here's just like kind of an aside. Being in a relationship and like being in a friendship and being just a generally decent person, those aren't completely different things. So like, what will make you a, a interesting, good person will generally help any relationship you're in romantic or otherwise uh but another just general piece of advice i would give to people is have a handful of interesting stories that you can tell well um so like dude i've talked about this on the podcast before i am one of the most boring people you will ever meet uh i don't do that much that's interesting but i'm not bad at telling stories and I've lived long enough that I've done a handful of interesting things and a handful of crazy things have happened to me. And so, like, when I meet a new person, um, so I, I guess this is, this would be more like a dating thing than, like, a you've been in a relationship with someone for months thing. Uh, but this also helps with, like, making friends. Have a few interesting stories you can tell about yourself and get pretty good at telling them. Uh, that will automatically make you come across as more interesting, even if you're not all that interesting. <laughs> um, just kind of helps generate good vibes early. Um, and let's see. That's a really good tip for dating. Back when I was dating more frequently, mm -hmm. um, I would have a few stories that were like my go-tos where I was like, if the conversation gets dull, I know I can tell this story and it's going to be engaging and fun. And at the very least, we'll have a good time. Oh, yeah. That, sure. That's really smart. Yeah. Uh, and then last piece of advice I'd give is, and again, this this applies in relationships, but it also just applies to being a an interesting person who can make and maintain friendships, is develop useful skills. Like, try to be a well-rounded person who, you know, you're... Like, the entire thing you're bringing to a relationship is not just that you can be an emotional crutch for someone else. Um, so try to develop useful skills. And then this is this is a tip for for the men interest or, or for the men listening for the most part. Try to develop a a good sense of humor humor and b not a sense of humor that's just like completely edgy and dark. Um, like, you know, I, I don't subscribe to the whole, like, men are from Mars and women are from Venus and just, like, utterly and completely different. Like, there are very much, like, dudes who have, like, a very clean sense of humor and women who have, like, a very dirty or dark sense of humor. But, like, in general, I find that, like, the stuff I talk about with my male friends, um, not necessarily the same jokes that I would make if I was in mixed company or just like telling jokes to Lindsay, e even though she does actually have a pretty dark sense of humor like that, that's one of the things we, uh, we bonded over. Um, but yeah, like if one, you inter you automatically become a more interesting person, any more fun person to be around for anyone. If you have a pretty decent sense of humor 
And then two, you'll have a much better, a much easier time uh, connecting with and maintaining relationships with women better for, for the men out there. If you, if you're capable of being funny and making people laugh without just like saying dark and fucked up shit. Yeah, you, you shouldn't view your sense of humor as like performance art where right. it's supposed to like shake the listener to their core. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's okay to just have some light humor that, that isn't like uh, an artistic expression that's supposed to really rock your understanding of the universe. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So are those all the tips? I mean, if 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 we did research and preparation for this podcast, I could probably come up with more. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's what comes to me kind of immediately. So yeah. it's, it's probably the best ones. Yeah. How about you? Well, when we, when we branch out and actually do the love podcast, you know, and <laughs> probably discontinue the science and the fitness one, but, but do focus on that. We'll, we'll have a lot more. Um, you know, I agree we, with... We, we do own the URL. Oh, I forget exactly what it is, but it's something like sex by science. <laughs> we do. On... Yeah. Uh, was it New Year's Eve or was it Friendsgiving? I don't know. I think it, you were drunk. Yeah. Oh, we were all drunk. Um, yeah, we, we were we were hanging out with friends, imbibing some adult beverages. Um, and we were just like, yeah, when this whole fitness thing doesn't pan out, we're going to have like a very science-focused sex business. Um, actually, no. One of our friends suggested that we do that. And we were all drunk enough that we all found that very funny. And so, uh, yeah, just hopped on GoDaddy in the middle of the conversation and bought, I, I believe it was Sex by Science as a domain name. Yeah. So this is all clearly a joke. But if we did ever want to go that direction, we do have a URL. Or if you want to go that direction and buy the domain, you can make an offer. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so I agree with, with your tips generally. I had a couple things that came to mind for me without being repetitive. Um, I always say that if I could somehow spend less time with myself, I would, but like logistically, I don't know how to make that work. But what I try to think about in a relationship is what do I hate about me? And then I assume they probably do too, like to some (laughs) level, right? So I try to think like if I were dating me, what would be getting under my skin? I try to be very conscious of those things and try to be proactive, like not just say, oh yeah, I'm the worst and, and just accept that, but like actually be proactive about, am I doing annoying stuff and, and trying to be, uh, try to communicate about it, say like, hey, am I doing that annoying thing I always do? If so, how do I get better at that and not do it as much? So try to be introspective about you know, is there anything you're doing in the relationship that might be causing some kind of friction, you know, and try to be proactive about that before it reaches a point where you're in a big dust up about it, getting in a big argument. Um, Can I just add something to that real quick? Yeah. If you're in a relationship with someone and you care about them and you want to stay in that relationship, if you're not as proactive as maybe you should be, or maybe you just do something annoying that they don't like, that it wouldn't occur to you that they don't like. When they bring that to your attention, try not to be super defensive about it and try not to say like, oh, you're just being too sensitive, that's fine. Because the thing is, if you're in a relationship with that person, the only opinion about whether it's fine or not that matters is theirs. Correct. Um, so, you know, then you, then you have the question for yourself like, 
is it worth trying to to change this behavior uh, to maintain the relationship? And if it's something that's just like super core to your identity, like cut them loose. You know, there's other fish in the sea. Um, but if your primary goal there is to maintain the relationship, like don't fight about that. Like just just take it in stride and make whatever necessary changes there are to make to whatever degree is feasible. Yeah. Another thing, you know, you mentioned, you know, getting to the point where you're able to discuss some key things that are important to your partner, you know, um, I have been in relationships in the past where it's like, you know, of course you have to make some compromises, but if you notice that the sphere of things that you like and are interested in is completely separate from the things that they like and are interested in, and you just don't have enough of a mixture of things that you both share an interest in, that could be bad news. So like, of course you need to make compromises, you know, but you want to make sure that when you're in the process of dating and actually finding a partner, that you actually have enough compatibility that this thing's going to have wheels in the long run, this relationship. You know, you want to make sure you have enough compatibility and overlapping interest that it's at least enough to cling on to in, in the years to come, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So, of course, there's going to be some things that they're into that you, you read up on and you become, uh, you know, somewhat familiar with it, you know, just, just to compromise and, and kind of meet them halfway on something. And, and that's a nice thing to do. And it's advisable. But, like, man back in the day I went salsa dancing way more times than I would have liked it was just awful I hated it so much and and it was like one of those things where we just had like no overlap like the things that person enjoyed and the things that I enjoyed there was zero overlap in that Venn diagram and it gets to a point where it's like yeah you should make compromises for sure but if everything you do together is an enormous compromise that's probably not a good sign. So like Mm -hmm. my current girlfriend, like I said, very happy relationship. We had a date a few weeks ago where all we did was talk about statistics, really high level statistics. She's smarter than me, uh, which is frustrating, but that's okay. (laughs) But I mean, it's one of those things where of course, you know, making those compromises is important, but when you're in the dating phase, try to figure out how much of an uphill battle am I, (laughs) am I giving myself here? do we actually have enough compatibility that this thing's going to be viable, you know, moving forward? And the more you can find someone with overlapping interests, the better, I think. No, I I agree. And and this is somewhat related. Um, But like one of the things that, uh, I mean, there aren't that many people out there asking me about my marriage. Uh, But if someone's like, if if someone for whatever reason does ask, uh, the first thing I'll always say is just that Lindsay's my best friend. Um, and I'm not, I, I'm, that's kind of news to me. Well, you're, you're my second best friend. Okay. Well, third. We'll talk later. I mean, so Lindsay's number one, you and Oswald are like 2A and 2B. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but no, so like, yeah, I think one of the important things is just that you have enough in common with someone that if you're trying to you know, make a relationship long-term and possibly marry the person. Like, if they're not legitimately your best friend, like if, you know, occasionally two people just spend enough time together that you're just like, yeah, like, I want to go hang out with someone else. But just kind of on a on a baseline basis, if they're not your favorite person to just chill with and just hang out with, and you don't have enough in common with the person to make that work... Um, you're probably going to be in for some tough sledding. So I I think that's very, very good advice. 
All right, so there you have it. That's dating and relationship advice. Um, if, you know, in the future you end up getting married and you feel like this particular episode was played an instrumental role in that, all we would ask is that you invite uh, me and Greg and Lindsay and, you know, make sure you have an open bar at the wedding. And I think that would be totally fair. That's all we'd want. Honestly, that would be fun. Yeah, I, we'll I'm, do weddings. I'm, I'm a sucker for weddings. I like weddings. Yeah, so invite us out. Make sure there's an open bar and we'll be there. Cover our plane tickets, of course. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I assume that was part of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. Um, we're doing these fireside chats to give you something that, that you can listen to. It's just a conversation between buddies that kind of helps you just dissociate from you know, this stuff going on in the world right now. But one thing that I want to say that is like somewhat related to that is a fair amount of people who, who follow us on social media, listen to the podcast, etc., cetera, are, are owners or managers of just like small boutique gyms. So CrossFit boxes, uh, like, you know, garage or not garage, but like warehouse powerlifting gyms, underground bodybuilding gyms, etc. But if you're going to some sort of like privately owned boutique gym, if it's like a small community gym that you care about and you know the owners and care about them, if it is at all within your means to do so, don't cancel your gym membership right now. Like even if, so look, Times are tough out there for a lot of people. If you just got laid off, you don't know where money's going to come from, and you need to cancel that gym membership, I'm a million percent not trying to shame you for that. Um, but if it's just a situation where you know you're not going to be able to go to the gym for a month or two, and you're like, eh, you know, maybe I'll put this on hold and not pay for the couple of months I'm not going to be able to use this membership. If you can, please don't do that. Uh, gyms tend to run on really, really tight margins, um, if they run on margins at all. And so like, you know, some cities are doing rent freezes and if, if your city's doing that, that's awesome. Uh, but biggest thing here is if you can support the local gym you go to, um, please try to continue to do so. Yeah. And just to be abundantly clear, um, you know, like you said, there's no shaming going on. Like times are really tough for a lot of people right now. We have no interest in telling you how you should spend your money, uh, particularly if times are really tough for you right now. That's not at all the uh, the objective here. But, you know, if it's within your means and you can afford to do so, it'd be a really great thing because those gyms really make up the heart of lifting culture. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. those independent gyms where you develop friendships, where you develop memories of lifting. Um, you know, I've, I've been in and out of gyms like that where you and the, the owner see each other every time you walk in, you develop really good friendships and they're just a really important part of the lifting world and the lifting culture. So um, if at all possible, if we can do our best collectively to keep that alive, I think it'd be a huge thing. I agree wholeheartedly. And one other thing to potentially reach out to your gym owner about, um, you know, I, I'm sure not every gym is doing this and maybe they're not doing it just because it hasn't occurred to the owner to do it. Um, but I've heard of some small private gyms either loaning out or renting out equipment to, you know, anyone who wants it or in the case of rentals, whoever can afford it. You know, we, we uh, th there are a lot of people struggling out there without access to the iron. I totally get that. Um, 
if you have just like room in your house for say a medicine ball or an axle or whatever it might be and you go to a gym that is willing to either loan out or rent out equipment and you own access to that it might be worth having that conversation with your gym owner they may or may not be open to it but you know if you're if you're looking for uh, a way to spend social isolation not isolated from the iron that is you know one potential thing to think about all right, so that is it for the second Stronger by Science Fireside Chat. Uh, we appreciate you listening. If you would like to hear us discuss something on either the normal podcasts or uh, these very much off-topic podcasts, feel free to submit them at tiny.cc sbsqa. And until next time, hope you have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Stronger by Science podcast. Now, Greg and I are not experts in medicine or health or really anything else for that matter. So before you make any changes to your diet and exercise habits, make sure you check with a doctor or another healthcare professional. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support it, visit strongerbyscience.com to check out the products and services that we offer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.